Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we're going to talk about cancer and what you can do to not only prevent it, but more importantly, treat it. Why? Because it's an epidemic. We have 1600 people dying every day in the United States from cancer. And if you're Asian, you might be surprised to learn that it's 8,000 people a day die from cancer in China. So we have a, a really world-class expert with us today, Anton, Dr. Antonio Jimenez, who's got clinics, over, um, international clinics, because it's out of the purvey of the United States, and he's able to implement some therapy. So um, I, I just love, I mean, he's written a book, Hope for Cancer, which interestingly is the name of his clinics. So we're going to talk a lot about the details today. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Jimenez. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joe. And it's interesting you mentioned, you mentioned Asia. I'm actually in Bangkok right now. And uh, we're in the process of uh, uh, expanding Hope for Cancer to this part of the world because it's truly even a greater epidemic than it is in the, in the Western yeah. world right now. You know, and of so course, there are many factors to that. Yeah, that's it's because it, I think the number of people dying from cancer far exceeds is a higher rate than we have in this country because they have eight thousand people every day. Is is that true? I mean, I just heard that from Dr. Seyfried. Yeah, that that sounds correct. And uh, you know, some cancers that are rare in our part of the world, in the U.S. and and the Western world, is very common here. For example, uh, primary liver cancer, hepatocellular carcinoma is uh, much more common here than where we're from. Okay, well, let's get into the background as to why you got into this to begin with. Uh, I think you, uh, at least in your book, you stated that you know, it was your father's diagnosis with prostate cancer that was the primary catalyst, and that was when he was in his early 60s. Can, so if you can expand on that, that'd be great. Yes, yes. Uh, my father lived in uh, Texas, in Houston, and he went in for uh, sinus surgery. After the surgery, he had problems urinating. They started uh, researching why, doing tests, and they found out that he had uh, stage three prostate cancer that had spread outside the prostate to the lymph nodes in the pelvic area. But, you know, being a Latin dad, he wants to protect his older kid. He never told me till after he had done some conventional therapy in Houston. And at which time he says, I can't do any more of this. You know, I'm dying faster than I think the cancer will kill me. So, uh, you know, I kind of hung up the phone, told him I'll call you in a second, dad. Cried, got it over with. And then I said, let's do it. So actually my dad, uh, he was in his early 60s and he lived to be 82 and mm -hmm. died of uh, heart disease in older age, not, nothing to do with the prostate. So yes, that was uh, where it hit the heart, right? Uh, my dad and my hero, the guy that left Colombia when I was five years old and gave us a better life in the U.S. So uh, I think that was the least I could have done for him. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't realize. So you're from Colombia. Yes. I mean, yes. your parents are. So you have Colombian uh, heritage and uh, lived in Texas when you were growing up. And then now you live in California, but your clinics are in Mexico. Is that correct? Yes, we have the Hope for Cancer Treatment Centers. Uh, the first clinic opened in the year 2000 in Tijuana, Mexico, which is south of San Diego, California. Historically, we know Tijuana as being one of the meccas of doctors from all over the world coming to treat cancer uh, from a complementary, integrative, holistic perspective. So that's our mother clinic, if, if you may. And then in the year 2015, we opened the second uh, Hope for Cancer clinic in Cancun, beautiful Cancun, uh, Mexico. And uh, the main difference with the two clinics, Joe, is that the clinic in, in Tijuana, it's an inpatient facilities. So patients stay there typically for three plus weeks. The Cancun clinic is an outpatient. So usually they're more stable patients, ambulatory and so forth. So, and now in Bangkok, we're partnering with a really powerful uh, thinking group here in Asia and in Thailand and this will be our fourth clinic because I also have a clinic in our motherland of uh, Colombia South America Wow that's great you're you're a busy guy well there's really a need for that and as you know I mentioned earlier there's 1600 people not that are diagnosed with cancer every day but actually die from cancer in the United States and of course 8,000 in China so 
it would be extremely unusual if you're watching this and you don't know someone personally, if not yourself, certainly a friend or a family member who has been diagnosed with cancer and is looking for a strategy that works. And I certainly have a fair number of people who contact me with recommendations. And you know, my, my current recommendation is the Hope for Cancer because it really incorporates most all of the principles that I've learned and be useful and, and many more beyond that, some of which we'll touch upon today. And, and let's start with those, with some of those strategies are. And it's interesting, um, you know, we, we pretty much agree, it's very unusual to read a book where I don't disagree with a, a significant amount of the material in there for, for a large variety of reasons. And that wasn't the case with the Hope for Cancer. It's pretty much uh, everything I agreed with. And there was a lot of new information there that I was not aware of. So, uh, but one of the strategies that we're aligned with is a dietary strategy. And um, Tony and I both belong to a group called the Academy of Comprehensive Integrative Medicine or ACIM for short. And that's where I first, I believe that's where I first met him. And um, the, uh, that group honored Dr. Thomas uh, Seafried, who I've uh, um, interviewed twice before as, uh, as uh, with an award of a, being a, a pioneer, and he truly is one of the greatest uh, cancer biologists in the world. And you know, many of his principles are being adopted, metabolic principles of how to treat cancer at uh, Hope for Cancer. And you know, one of those includes a restriction of animal protein, at least in the initial phases. So uh, why, why don't you elaborate a bit on that? Well, definitely, Joe. Uh, Thomas is one of my mentors and someone that you know I've. Uh, indulge in his work and in, in addition to reading about what he writes, it's having experience. I'd like to say that at Hope for Cancer, we're really in the trenches, right? We're seeing advanced cancer patients. 92% of our cancer patients are stage four. That means they failed wow. uh, conventional therapy or when they were diagnosed, there was nothing that could be offered to them. And so those are the type of ca uh, cancer patients we see. And within this group, of course, uh, nutrition as being one of the seven key principles of cancer therapy that we had actually published uh, in a peer-reviewed journal in 2012 out of UCLA. Uh, so nutrition, I coined the term in, in, in my book, Hope for Cancer, the seven uh, principles to remove fear and empower your he healing journey. And that is the garden food plan. And so uh, my experience clinically and otherwise is that the closest that we could get to the garden, whole foods, healthy foods, non-GMOs, um, you know, foods that are not tough to digest, uh, we could assimilate them easily and avoid those animal proteins that do uh, stress our immune system. Let me tell you a quick story, Joe. I was a, a, vet, a vegetarian for 15 years and I was at an event in Nashville, Tennessee, not too long ago, and we were at the best steakhouse supposedly in Tennessee. So I said, well, let me try a little piece of steak. And as I finished eating this uh, beef, I began to get pale, I was shivering, I felt literally like I was going to pass out. And so I tried to compose myself, drank a little water, say, Tony, you're gonna be okay. And what I think happened, Joe, is that I wasn't used to this foreign proteins because I've been a vegetarian for so long. So what I think happened is that my antibodies reacted with these antigens and elicited what's called an antibody antigen complex and set off an immune cascade that made me feel that way. So I think that in my experience, uh, cancer patients, of course, immune system is utmost importance and of course, uh, we know the reasons for that. Cancer cells like to evade the immune system. We can have an optimal immune system, but cancer cells, and this is one of Dr. Thomas Siegfried's uh, hallmarks of cancer, is that uh, cancer cells have found a way to shield or cloak themselves from being seen by the immune system. So yeah. anything we can do to not stress our immune system, in this case with, with animal proteins, I think it's very beneficial. Yeah, and in many ways, that's not different than a number of other clinics who also treat cancer. Uh, Gerson would be one of them, and there are certainly many others. Uh, but your, your approach is quite different uh, because you're integrating the metabolic therapies that Dr. Seafried has uh, pioneered. 
Uh, and you're also combining a lot of other interesting approaches. And I knew that uh, I was aligned really closely with you when you started discussing sauna, which is really an important part of detoxification to remove these toxins that we're exposed to on a regular basis. Uh, but virtually every professional organization or clinic that I've seen is recommending far infrared sauna. You're really one of the only ones I've noticed that was recommending the near. So you've got, mm -hmm. I said, you, you were definitely on to uh, uh, the, you know, on target with that and really isn't aligned with all the other principles. We'll talk about some of the other strategies that you're using, but perhaps you can uh, discuss the use of the near infrared sauna for detox and how you integrate it into your program. Yeah, it's very interesting because I think at the root, at the foundation of sauna is light. Mm -hmm. And we know that light is healing, light is necessary for life. And when we're talking about near infrared, we're talking about a light spectrum that first can penetrate deep into the body. Secondly, it's more physiologically friendly, if you will, to the healthy cells. And thirdly, it has so many uh, contributing factors that uh, show its vast benefits from improving microcirculation to having chelating effect, that means grabbing on to heavy metals and helping them draw, uh, push out of the deep organs and tissues in the body. Uh, and, and then what it does for the mind, it's so powerful, the, the, the relaxation effect, the improvement in cognitive function. And if anyone that's watching this has never tried uh, near infrared sun, I highly recommend it, and I know that uh, Joe, you have uh, some that you some units that you really yeah, we've recommend. Done, we've done a really good interview with Brian Richardson on that. So, uh, but you know, it's something that you you're embracing, integrating to your clinic, which is great. Now, uh, I neglected to mention too about the restriction of animal protein. It's not that we're recommending you or I, either of us, are that people should be a vegan or vegetarian that there is benefit for animal protein. It's just that when you have a, an aggressive, uh, and in your case, peaches, people have risen you nearly terminal disease, that it's probably wise to avoid that for a while and mm -hmm. focus on uh, you know, uh, lighter foods that d don't necessarily impair inflammatory responses. Absolutely. So, uh, and then now you talked about Dr. Seafried's discussion of how the uh, cancer cells evade the immune response of the body. And part of that is the circulating cancer stem cells. Um, so, in, which are responsible, because it's possible to debulk a tumor, to physically cut it out, to treat it with radiation or chemotherapy. And unfortunately, that can hit the large mass, but it doesn't hit the stem cells. That seems to be the crux of the problem. So why don't you talk about that for a bit? Well, this is uh, a very, very important topic, uh, talking about circulating tumor cells or uh, cancer stem cells, because a tumor has two types of cells. The majority of the cells are called non-stem cancer cells, and that makes up about 99% of all the cells in a malignant tumor, lymph node, nodule, or mass. The 1% are called cancer stem cells. And they exist in the primary tumor. And in the primary tumor, these are of the epithelial variant. They're epithelial cancer stem cells. For them to leave the primary tumor, go into the extracellular matrix, and then penetrate into the blood flow, this is how most cancers spread, as we know, is through the circulatory system. They transition from epithelial to mesenchymal stem cells. And that way they could penetrate the blood vessel wall. Once they're in the circulation, that's when we call them circulating tumor cells, because now they're circulating freely in the blood supply. And then they form what's called a, an embolus or uh, cellular arrest that fixates itself, all these circulating tumor cells to the wall, inner wall of the blood vessel. And then now there's a second transition from mesenchymal to epithelial cancer stem cells. And now the, they exit the blood vessel 
and then lead to the metastasis, the breast cancer going to the liver, to the lung, to the brain, and to the bone. And what's interesting here, Joe, is that 80% or so of the research that goes on in cancer is on the primary tumor. Mm-hmm. But what is the cause of demise of a cancer patient? Seldom, with few exceptions, is it the primary tumor. It's the metastatic activity. So we have that inverted. We should be spending more funds and more energy in the metastasis process, not the primary tumor. Uh, so that being said, at Hope for Cancer, we have a technology called photodynamic infrared spectroscopy. So this is using infrared light and what we call a sensitizer. And without getting too technical, this sensitizer is called indocyanine green ICG, which has been used in in cardiovascular uh, screening for many years, but now it's in a liposomal uh, form and also a nanoparticle form, the indocyanine green. And we give it intravenously, it attaches or it adheres to circulating tumor cells. So the total blood volume is checked in 17 minutes and it will pick up the spectroscopy, will pick up any circulating tumor cells in the blood and then using light, infrared light, we could kill and target those circulating tumor cells. So is that chemical that you're injecting specific for this uh, tumor cells? Uh, yes, it doesn't adhere to normal cells. Endocyanine green adheres to malignant cells. We could also use another uh, sensitizer called chlorine E6 that historically has also been shown to have a high affinity or selectivity to malignant cells. Okay. Before we discuss some of the other therapies you have, I think it might be our viewers would be interested in learning what type of statistics you have. I mean, you mentioned earlier that 92% of the people that visit you are in in stage four or severely metastasized cancers, which is pretty serious, you know, basically are on death's doorstep. So uh, what percentage of those people are getting better? Yeah, we, uh, we commission a third party um, outside of Hope for Cancer to look at 365 patient charts, and which were selected randomly. And this is a retrospective study that started in 2015, 16, and 17. So what we have uh, across the board for a two-year survival, Joe, is uh, upwards of 76%. Uh, two-year survival. If we look at the National Cancer Institute SEER data, which is the surveillance epidemiology and end-stage result data, which is the gold standard, in comparison to ours at Hope for Cancer, it's about 25 to 30 percent two-year survival. Uh The group that did this, uh, statisticians and so forth, they extrapolated the data and they say that by the five-year mark, we should be still in the 70% five-year survival. So this is quite interesting because oftentimes, you know, being a clinician, being in the trenches, we don't, we don't have time to evaluate all this data, nor are we, you know, sure. a huge center that- You're saving people's lives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we were quite thrilled about uh, this finding and every day, you know, we are blessed that uh, patients are getting better and better. I think, I think people are more informed now. They're willing to make those lifestyle changes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's empowering them uh, to heal, and they're getting it. Well, and the other thing, it's not a magic therapy. It's not like you're using one, one special herb or magic potion. It's really a comprehensive approach that's customized for their specific scenario. And uh, one of the other benefits that your treatment program offers is that you have at-home treatment follow-up, which is really critical. So can you explain a little bit about that follow-up program you have? Yes, it's very, very important because the patients are with us for three, four, five, six weeks. Usually it's three weeks. They come from all over the world. 
But cancer didn't develop and metastasize in three weeks or a month or two months. You know, some of the studies, Joe, it's, uh, it could be upwards of 10 years for mm -hmm. that process to go to a situation when now there's a palpable tumor or a tumor that can be seen by uh, MRI, CAT scan, PET scan, and so forth. So we know that those three weeks at Hope for Cancer is an intense treatment time that goes into the seven key principles of cancer therapy. If I can describe them uh, quickly, it's a non-toxic cancer therapies, it's immunomodulation, nutrition, as we uh, talked about earlier, detoxification, and detox starts from negative thoughts. I often say that a negative thought can kill you faster than a bad germ. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, oftentimes we think about colon detox and so forth, but we have to really look at detoxification starting in, in our belief system, our attitude. What did we think? What did you viewer think when you were told you had cancer? Did you see yourself in a coffin? Or did you see yourself up on a mountain saying, I could, I could do this. I could, I could be victorious. I could be healed. So it starts with that. Uh, and of course, oxygenation, the works of Dr. Siegfried, going further back to uh, Dr. Warburg. Uh, we know the, the, the nature of cancer being a hypoxic disease, low oxygen disease. And then the sixth one is so, so important is the restoring the microbiome. Uh, because, you know, that's uh, the gut-brain connection, as we say. Uh, critically important to, to work at this level. And then the seventh key principle is the spiritual and emotional aspect of healing. Uh, we need to work at the spirit and soul so that the body can respond and know that that goes back to ancient times, civilizations in Greece and in Egypt, the first person they saw, Joe, when they went into a medical facility, weren't you and I. First, it was the spiritual advisor, the monk, the rabbi, the minister. Then they were seen by the uh, emotional, psychological counselor. And then they saw us, the medical doctors. We were kind of in the back by the bathroom, right? And so they gave health and healing in that order, in that order. So following these seven key principles is, is so important in integrating uh, a truly uh, holistic mm -hmm. effect program. That being said, we're medical doctors, I'm a naturopath also, and uh, oftentimes, you know, we have to do some conventional therapies to, if you will, stop this aggressive tumor burden. If a patient comes, for example, with a pancose tumor, this is a tumor in the upper part of the lung, it blocks the circulation to the brain. If you don't give them spot radiation, five sessions to decrease that, the patient's not going to live. So there is few, but there are some specific uh, indications for uh, radiation pain is another one. I'd rather give you know five to seven spot radiation to the bone instead of uh, to reduce pain, reduce the likelihood of that bone fracturing or breaking than having that patient, you know, be on narcotics or other uh, tough pain medication. Now, one of the advantages of not being located in the United States is that you're not really tied to the standard of care because in the U.S. and actually in many other countries, um, if you violate the standard of care, they can take your license away. Uh, and the standard of care for most cancer therapies is chemotherapy. So yes. I'm wondering uh, how you address that issue and what percentage of patients and you know, admittedly, most of them are late stage, are actually integrating chemotherapy into the holistic program you just uh, described. Well, this is one of the main uh, reasons for me uh, writing this book, Hope for Cancer, because after uh, over 25 years of working in, in an integrative field, I want to empower, I want to uh, have this information available that if you were just diagnosed with cancer, if you are in stage four and have failed conventional therapies, there are options for you. There's always options. I think one of the problems with uh, the frustration in, in oncology now is that once conventional doctors finish chemo, radiation, and surgery, they don't know what else to do in immunotherapies. That's it. So they don't have more options. So 
the patient feels that frustration, feels that hopelessness, and then this is when they come to us. So the work that we're doing is to allow people to know that these integrative approaches should be done, as the word integration means, at the beginning, when you're having, if that's the route that you decided to do the chemo, radiation, and so forth, so that we mitigate the side effects, you have better quality of life. By the way, 94% of our stage four cancer patients have statistically significant improvement in quality of life. And I know anyone out there viewing this, if you live a day longer or you know 50 years longer, we wanna live with the best quality of life possible. And that's so important as you decide what therapies to use. And, you know, when someone has had chemotherapy already, Joe, the second or third rounds of chemo or choices of chemo have less benefit, more toxicity, and more uh, resistant by those cancer cells. Well, let's go back a little bit. Because I think my question was perhaps a bit inappropriate, not inappropriate, but uh, mis misframed. So, the, the statistics you quoted were quite impressive. You know, 72% survival rate of two years from 92% population with stage four cancers. So admittedly, I'm sure a large percentage of those have had the cut, poison, burn strategy. And when you do that, which is surgery, which is not necessarily a bad thing and probably really necessary in many cases, but done strategically at the right time when you've had a chance to integrate metabolic therapy to cut down that inflammatory response and radically decrease the likelihood of, of cells metastasizing. So surgery is not the issue, but when you poison them with chemo or burn them with radiation, you seriously compromise their immune function and radically decrease their ability to live because many of the patients dying with cancer don't die from the cancer, they die from the treatment. So at 72% survival rate is quite impressive considering the handicap that the vast majority of those people had. My guess mm -hmm. is that if you, if you um, divided those groups into those who had the cut poison, poison and burn strategy, those that didn't, you probably have a much higher success rate. Point being that if you can get in, you know, is to see someone like you before you start yes. these strategies, you're a, lot, you're a lot further ahead of the curve and more likely to successfully resolve this. Yes, absolutely. You know, we know that cancer cells are smart, they're intelligent, they exhibit social behavior, they learn, they adapt, uh, they evade apoptosis or programmed cell death. So these, these chemotherapies and radiation just press that uh, body and the deficient immune system into the cancer cells uh, having a, a, a terrain where they can accomplish their mission of invading and invading other uh, organs and, and tissues. So absolutely, uh, that's, uh, that's our challenge. And uh, uh, thankfully, combining these seven principles in these patients who have had the cut poison and oftentimes burning uh, therapies uh, are doing quite well. Have you differentiated the populations in your survival statistics? We have not yet. Uh, that would we be a very interesting statistic to come up with. That would yes, be we're planning on doing that, Joe, when we get to the fourth and five year. Now we're just getting all this data and okay. you know looking at it. But uh, thank you for that. For sure, that's on our agenda. Yeah, because I think it's going to be even more impressive. Uh, mm -hmm. And a real initial motivation and catalyst to get in before you receive those toxic uh, interventions um you know and it's it's easy to fall into that trap because almost all the oncologists are recommending that and sadly the you know it's largely as a result of this conventional standard of care and violating that standard of care which is clearly perpetuated in large part by the enormous amounts of profits uh, that are generated and i think if I'm not mistaken, uh, oncologists are really one of the only profession or specialties <clears throat> where they actually can sell the chemotherapy uh, and make a significant profit on that to the patient, which yes. should be real. But it's you know it's just how can they get away with this? But they do. Yeah. So there's a there's a financial incentive to mm -hmm. 
recommend these therapies. And I, I'm sure many believe that they would work and they would do that for themselves or their family. So it's not to say that's the only motivation, but it's still a powerful consideration. So um, let's and talk. That being said, Joe, if I could interrupt for a moment, every day we're getting more health professionals as, as patients. You know, we're getting uh, oncologists, we're getting nurses, physical therapists, you know, MDs. Uh, because they're, they're starting to see this. And as a friend of mine who's a, a board-certified oncologist in Nevada, he says chemotherapy is dead. And this is why now there's such a push to work on immunotherapies and what's all the targeted therapies, right? Because uh, people are just getting fed up and doctors themselves, to some extent, oncologists are, are you know, stepping outside the box more and more every day. But when their life's on the line, you know, they got to get serious and re really put their, put their life where their belief system is. So uh, I'm wondering if we could focus on metabolic therapies for a bit as, as uh, highlighted by Dr. Seyfried's work. So the, 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 the basic concept, uh, if you haven't heard it before, is that cancer cells are in fact distinctly metabolically different. They have dysfunctional mitochondria yes. for a variety of reasons, typically oxidative stressors. And because of that, they become, they are unable to burn fuel normally with oxygen, even though oxygen is present. So they have the, the process called ferment, fermentation, which is relatively inefficient, but, but allows them to survive quite well. So the, because of this characteristic, the metabolic therapy takes advantage of that and essentially tends to starve them of their fuel, which is primarily glucose, but also glutamine, which is an amino acid and protein. Yeah. So and the way you do that is, is to, you get your blood glucose very low, and typically it's done through fasting or partial fasting, and you raise your ketones, which have a whole wide variety of other profound benefits, primarily anti-inflammatory, which is a big issue in most cancers. So when you've got that, I'm, you know, part of that strategy, and then it, you, you metabolically transition them, and that's a whole nutritional intervention. But then once you've done that, you can actually even lower them, uh, lower their sugar lower, and then and, and integrate things like oxidative therapies, like the hyperbaric oxygen or ozone, and insulin potenti potentiation therapy, where you drive their blood sugar even lower to starve those cancer cells. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you could describe what you're doing there. And if actually, if you're addressing, addressing in any way the glutamine issue, because that tends to be another substrate that these cancer cells can use for fuel in the fermentation process. Yes, all this is uh, right on target. Uh, and, you know, in addition to what you mentioned with dietary modifications, we have a nutritionist in both of our uh, cancer clinics in Mexico, so that's addressed uh, quite well. Uh, we know, for example, in brain tumors, it's, it's very important. Uh, I'd like to point out something a little bit different because we do the hyperbaric oxygens, we do the near infrared sauna, we do the ozone, the nasal oxygen uh, therapies as well. But I think we need to emphasize, Joe, the use of light. And mm -hmm. light is so important. For example, red light increases macrophages, increases uh, their activation and their ability to engulf cancer cells and viruses, for example, pathogenic viruses. Red light also increases oxygenation at the tissue level. It also increases healthy microcirculation. Now, if we go to green light, the decrease decreases blood viscosity, which is that clumping of cells so that the red blood cells are not able to transfer oxygen to the tissue. Uh, also, we see increased cellular energy, increased mitochondrial function with green light. You see, we're using uh, blue light to increase nitric oxide production. We're using uh, blue light also to enhance telomerase activity, those telomeres right at the end of the chromosome that cancer patients have shortened telomeres. Uh, as we age, those telomeres uh, decrease in size. So with blue light, it's been shown to elongate uh, these uh, telomeres. Uh, yes? So how, how do you administer these, these light therapies? And 
because there's really a strong circadian component to the, the time of day that they're administered because blue light administered at night is not a wise strategy typically. That's right. And, yes. uh, so how, how in the, do you administer them and what, how do you synchronize the timing of it? So now we have uh, different ways of doing what's called uh, photodynamic therapy or photobiomodulation therapy, which is using light in all of its spectrum from infrared to ultraviolet. And this can be done uh, topically, so externally. We have uh, infrared devices uh, that can be done externally. It doesn't burn the skin. Uh, so very good for external tumors and uh, tumors that are uh, palpable, uh, lymph node. The liver is sort of a, a superficial organ, so we could treat the liver with light as well. And then a new innovation is doing light therapy or photodynamic therapy intravenously. So for example, what has been shown now is that there's quite a number of substances, including vitamin C, including curcumin, St. John's wort, hypericin, extract that is enhanced and stimulated by light. So if someone has curcumin, Joe, what changes the meta metabolism better than curcumin? I don't know anything else, right? In, in the spectrum of, of a global uh, aspect. So when someone is given intravenous curcumin, then we give them blue light. And that even enhances the effect. It starts to help that cancer cells produce reactive oxygen species, ROS, that is toxic to cancer cell. And at the same time, you're giving them ozone, or you know, you, you, you uh, pre-medicated them, if you will, with hyperbaric oxygen, you're having synergistic effect. We also can uh, inject uh, these sensitizers directly into uh, external palpable tumors, let's say of the breast or the neck, and then put these lights, these lasers, directly into the tumor. We could go into the bladder, into the prostate, significant results. We've seen patients that have 40% reduction in a bladder tumor with one application of these lights directly into the bladder tumor guided by ultrasound. So within all the metabolic therapies, incorporating the photobiomodulation or light therapy, we're even enhancing the effect. Also, some chemotherapeutic agents, if you mention insulin potentiation therapy, IPT, which we drive the blood sugar down, and then we give low dose of chemo. If we give at the same time some of these colored uh, wavelengths of light, for example, uh, Placitaxel, uh, Taxol and other chemotherapeutic agents are photoactive substances. So when you're doing the IPT process, in the Y, you have two, in one vein, you have two catheters going. In one, you do the low-dose chemo, and then in the other, you do the light. You're further enhancing that effect of the chemo. You could do this with vitamin C as well. Vitamin C is active in the, in the red light spectrum. Now, when you're uh, using the low-dose chemotherapy, are you integrating that into a timing with respect to fasting? Because there's a lot of uh, research supporting the use of uh, the timing of the, of the chemo intervention. Is when you're, Fasting seems to work better in a number of ways, both in efficacy of the, of the therapy, mm -hmm. but also in the decrease in the amount of side effects from the, the administration. Yes. Absolutely, Joe. They're fasting at least 12 to 16 hours, depending on the condition of the patient. Remember, these stage four cancer patients are very uh, uh, cachectic. You know, they're in catabolism. So we have to do this safely, but for sure, at least 12 and up to 16 hours are fasting prior to the IPT. Now, that is uh, an artifact of cancer because... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it has a metabolic phenotype of requiring fermentable fuels, and usually that's glucose, but failing glucose, it will take glutamine, and it typically takes them from the muscles. So that's one of the reasons. So you start breaking down your muscle cells to feed the cancer cells. And uh, that's not a good result, and it does present a limiting factor for many of your patients because they've lost so much weight. So that's another reason why you want to get into a clinical years 
that's the first sign of a diagnosis where you still have some mass to preserve so that you can get a bit more aggressive. Because I think, you know, it, it, basically what you're describing is an intermittent fast, which I think is pretty much healthy for people, most people do every day. But I think even better is to go for a longer, maybe, you know, 24, 40, 40, yeah. 40 to 45 hours or so, and then do that. Because I think you'll have higher ketone levels and lower blood sugar levels. Right. And in our cancer patients, of course, always under very strict supervision uh, because they're very fragile. You know, there's 92% of patients that come to us. So uh, that being said, it's, it's a goal. It's a goal and it's, it's working quite fine under medical supervision. Uh, and someone who's trained, as we are, hope for cancer, not only to do the metabolic therapies, but having a nutritionist on board, doing the blood test, the lab work to, to really uh, monitor you know, the nutritional uh, status. And we know, Joe, that a lot of cancer patients don't die of, of the cancer, as you said earlier, they die of the therapies, these, uh, you know, conventional therapies oftentimes. And also a big other factor of cause of death of patients is uh, malnutrition. Mm -hmm. You know, how can the body heal without having the nutrients at a cellular level? Now, one of the other therapies that you use in your clinic is amygdalin or laetril. And yes. interestingly, when I was in medical school, two of my classmates were graduate students of Dr. Harold Manor at Loyola University, who is the researcher who is known for developing that, that yes. uh, form of therapy. So many people, uh, you can use it. It's over the counter. It's uh, apricot kernels, typically. Uh, that, but, you know, you need it typically get a stage four cancer, you're going to need doses a lot higher. So you use the intravenous uh, approach and maybe you can expand on that. Yes, actually, uh, I work with doctor at Dr. Manor's clinic in Tijuana in 1988-89. And that was quite a, uh, an experience. He wasn't there at the time, but he had left his legacy. And so I've been using B17. It's also known as Laetrile or amygdalin since 1988 totally a safe product. I've had uh, two doctors in all these years, when the patient went back to the U.S., they called me and said, Dr. Tony, you know, this patient who you're seeing and is on Laetrile, he's uh, cyanide toxic. I said, how is that? I said, send me the toxicology report. They never <laughs> called me back because it's literally very difficult to have toxicity to Laetrile. And uh, intravenously, uh, we bypass the gut. Uh, we use anywhere from three to nine grams of amygdalin or laetrile B17 uh, in an IV infusion daily. So it's still that workhorse in, in cancer therapies. Uh, I remember when I started uh, working in integrative oncology in 1988, we used laetrile, nutrition, and uh, oftentimes... Uh, short cartilage, there was just coffee enemas, for example, and many patients got well. Now, of course, we know that people are more toxic in all aspects of the world, from the emotional to the physical, and so Laetro still has a very important role. Uh, however, we use it more as an adjuvant therapy, not sure. as a first-line therapy. Yeah, and, the and that's a good point. I would like it to discuss somewhat in that um, there is no magic bullet, that it's this whole comprehensive program. And you mentioned the seven factors that, you, that your program is based on. Really, they all work synergistically together. Yes. And if you think there is a magic bullet, and, and chemotherapy would be an example of one. And yes, it's probably helped a, a number of people, but a small number of people, and it certainly has done virtually any, nothing to address the epidemic of cancer deaths that we're having. I mean, 1,600 people every day in the United States alone. So. Yes. If it was effective, we wouldn't be seeing those numbers. So, you know, you've got to stop that magic bullet or pill approach and realize that you need this comprehensive, holistic strategy. Yes. And cancer is truly the word for cancer. One of the words for cancer is, or a number of words, is multifactorial factors or multifactorial causes. So that's why looking for that magic bullet is it's like looking for a needle in a haystack because uh, cancer, as was described by Thomas Sigbury and others and our experience at Hope for Cancer, it's multiple factors that not only lead to the development of cancer, but to the progression of cancer. So 
yeah. treating within these seven key principles of cancer therapy is of utmost importance. So if you're out there watching this and you're confused as to what to do, please, please look at the seven key principles of cancer therapy that I, I outline in the Hope for Cancer book because after so many years of clinical experience, thousands and thousands of patients all over the world, uh, we know that these seven key principles must be addressed. And by the way, six of these principles, with the exception of non-toxic cancer therapy, apply to all of us, to mm -hmm. all of us. So yeah. the treatment is really in the prevention, as we know. Yeah, I basically treat myself virtually every day as if I had cancer because, right. you know, we all have these circulating cancer cells, not necessarily stem cells, the metastasized cells, but they're circulating around and we have a, been given, it's a gift from God that we have to identify these cells and eliminate them effectively. And if you are, have the strategies that you would use to treat cancer effectively and, and metabolic flexibility is one of them because what, what appears to be the universal characteristic of cancer cells, whatever type of cancer it is, mm -hmm. metabolically, they tend to burn fuel by fermentation. They, so they mm -hmm. don't use oxygen uh, to, to generate more energy. They use this fermentation process. And if you can take advantage of that with metabolic therapy, again, even metabolic therapy is not a magic bullet, but it's a foundational strategy that integrated with all these other approaches can have profound benefits and result in numbers of 72% success rate at two years and probably five, even if pe people have seen conventional uh, oncologists and ha have gone the cut, poison, and burn strategy. Yeah, that's such a key point you make, Joe, because it's not about the cancer type. Oftentimes, patients call us and Dr. Tony, do you treat, uh, I have a very rare uh, rhabdomyosarcoma cancer that started in the palm of my hand, went to the breast, and then metastasized to the bone. So the answer there is that we're not treating that cancer type. This is what chemotherapy does. It targets those specific cancers type of cells. With the metabolic therapy, with photodynamic therapy, the immune modulation therapies that we have, nutrition, the emotional, the oxygenation, the restoring the microbiome, we're looking at the foundational causes of a dysregulatory pattern. What allowed the, these circulating tumor cells or cancer cells to form a tumor? Oh, they have a healthy environment for themselves that they, they can thrive. So this is at the root, uh, this is the foundation of treating cancer is not the cell type. So as you say, metabolically speaking, it doesn't matter for us if it's a breast cancer, liver cancer, you know, pancreatic cancer. Why is it that stage four pancreatic cancer patients that we have had are now alive four, five, six years, seven years down the road and, and thriving and living a healthy life? Because we're targeting those metabolic factors, those foundational uh, mitochondrial fa uh, factors of of recovering uh, those 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 healing aspects of the human body. You also mentioned God, and I want to point out that you know, as a believer, and in my experience, uh, God is at the center of healing. I learned this uh, very early in my career, Joe. I had a patient where I was working in a big oncology hospital in Mexico. I walked into the room to see my patient. There were two patient beds in the room. The other patient wasn't my patient. And so as I went in to see my patient with the chart, my patient said, doctor, can you give me a minute? I need to go to the restroom before you consult. I said, surely. And as she goes to the bathroom, the patient in the next bed calls me and she said, doctor, can I have a word with you? I said, sure. And she says to me, Joe, I'm going to do better than your patient. And I'm like, excuse me, why is that? And she said, because I have God in my heart and I know that I could heal and I have a good attitude. And that's, I've, I've learned that lesson uh, over and over again. Statistically, there's even publications on this. Cancer group that were prayed for fare better statistically than groups that were not prayed for. So, you know, as physicians and scientists, Joe, oftentimes we're afraid or we can't talk about 
the spirituality or we don't have time, right, to talk about God being at the center of healing. So we don't. But I encourage any doctors, any uh, people that are training now in the medical disciplines to take a minute, take five minutes and engage this with your patients or your loved one, because this is what can make a difference in that all your treatments, the integrative approaches, the metabolic therapy can have much, much better uh, results. Okay. So, uh, and you have a whole wide variety of other therapies that in addition to the ones that we discussed, but, uh, but I would encourage everyone to save this interview or remember it in some way, because if you don't need it today, I can assure you with a high degree of confidence that you will need it at some point in the future and that you will be faced with the challenge of either personally or for someone you care deeply for of what to do when that dreaded C word diagnosis is given to you or someone you love. So if you're at that stage now, uh, what is the next step if someone was interested in uh, seeing you or your staff at the Hope for Cancer? Yes, uh, uh, our website is www.hope4cancer.com. So hopeforcancer.com. We have a lot of educational information. We encourage you to send us, uh, after you in touch with uh, one of our uh, counselors, admissions counselor, uh, to uh, send your medical records. We'll review this at no cost and give you our recommendation. Well, if you want us to talk with your physician, we're happy to do that as well. We're here for you. We're here to serve you, uh, hopeforcancer.com. Also, my book, uh, as Joe mentioned, Hope for Cancer, Seven Key Principles to Remove Fear and Empower Your Healing Journey is, is, is out. And uh, please avail yourself to this book. We talk about the fundamentals of cancer and healing. Uh, we talk about... Uh, about cancer, what causes it? How can we diagnose and screen and track it? And then we go into therapies. Uh, it's quite a, uh, a combination of many, many years of work and experience and traveling the world. And as Joe said, we have many therapies and uh, some of these are quite proprietary, quite unique and uh, always non-toxic is, is the, the basis of this and a holistic approach. Yeah, and the other uh, characteristic that stands out quite clearly in your book is the large number of testimonials you've had from people who I think re just reading the book will, will you might uh, resonate with in, in your own specific circumstances because there was a lot of skepticism in many of the stories initially. They'd been to all over the, the place and been to many other physicians and many times failed or just was challenged to understand which direction to go. And it was a consistent response. Obviously, you, you put the best representatives out there, but there was some very compelling stories that uh, gives you an experience of what it's like to travel through those challenges and then how kind you were and offered to address that and really didn't try to sell them anything, which is so characteristic in many other programs and, and didn't promise anything either, which was, uh, you know, really... Uh, you know, quite uh, uh, enlightening to learn that. Yes, yes. And uh, our admissions uh, counselors have lists of patients who have uh, given us permission to give out their names. So talk to people who have been there, who have taken that step, who looked outside the box for integrative approaches to cancer therapy, whether you were just recently diagnosed or you're in stage four. And very importantly, Joe, we can't forget those patients that are in so-called remission or watchful waiting. This is when we really have to be proactive because what are they waiting for, for the cancer to show up again in a PET scan or CAT scan? So this is when you really have to take hold of those seven key principles, do a, a, a photodynamic uh, infrared spectroscopy test to look for those circulating tumor cells and then treat them. Very important not to forget those patients that are in, in remission. Yeah, that is a good point because as we've said a few times pre prior in this interview is that many, many people do not die from the cancer, they die from the effects of the treatment. So even though, uh, just to give an example, a common one is breast cancer in women. So 
they were successfully treated from the breast cancer, they'd die from some other cancer because of the interventions that they incurred. So that's why it's so important to integrate all of these strategies, especially the diagnostic inter interventions, to make sure that you're not suffering a complication from the therapy that you were given, yeah. not at your clinic necessarily, but the other ones. Yeah. And always remember that cancer is truly, in my experience, Joe, an opportunistic disease. Mm -hmm. Cancer is there because it was allowed to be there for many factors that we have gone over today in this, uh, in this uh, program and also that we talk about in the Hope for Cancer book and uh, Dr. Siegfried and the, in the hallmarks of cancer. So uh, let's not give cancer the opportunity and yeah. it will strike you. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited about uh, Dr. Seyfried, uh metabolic interventions being implemented in your, in your clinic. I mean, he's primarily doing them now from a Turkish oncology, Turkish oncology group, Dr. Slocum being the primary oncologist there I previously interviewed. And Turkey's a long way to go, and obviously uh, a bit of a challenge from a language perspective. Uh, and it's a lot easier to go to Mexico, and many people watching probably speak Spanish already, but if you don't, I'm sure they have many English-speaking staff yes. personnel down there, so that's not an issue. But it would be nice to, to have a more convenient place to go and one that we are confident they can integrate these. Because I really think that's the crux of the issue is, you know, having this fundamental core of metabolically addressing the defect that exists in all the cancer cells and taking advantage of that knowledge and then optimizing it based on that and especially with integrating all the other adjunctive therapies that comprehensively can take care of it. Absolutely. And, you know, even back in the late uh, 1980s and early 19, uh, uh, 1990s, uh, we had what was called back then the metabolic therapy, metabolic program. And so, uh, you know, there's a rich history and now Thomas Siegfried has taken this to, a, to another level. So I really look forward to this exciting uh, uh, way that we could integrate uh, the metabolic therapy, uh, mitochondrial function, photodynamic therapy, using energy. We're all energy beings, so let's use this energy not only to diagnose uh, like PET scans, MRIs, EKGs, these are all energy-based diagnostic tools. Let's use this energy, um, no pun intended, giving this mitochondria more energy and more uh, healthy status so that we can truly get uh, uh, the results that we're getting and, and much better. By the way, uh, 75% of our patients at uh, Hope for Cancer Treatment Centers in Mexico, either in Tijuana or Cancun, are from the U.S. Mm -hmm. So we have a fully functional English-speaking uh, group at the clinic, nurses and doctors, and the other 10% are from uh, Canada, and the remaining 15% or so are from all over the world. So uh, we, we welcome, we've had patients from every state, in the U.S. and probably from about 70 countries. Yeah, and just touching a bit, uh, finishing up on Dr. Seyfried is uh, he wrote the book, The Metabolic Theory of Cancer, which is primarily directing towards the morphological observations in cancer cells that the mitochondria are dysfunctional. And one of the characteristics of mitochondria, everyone knows pretty much that they produce the responsible producing energy, but another uh, responsibility they have is to really a catalyst for a structure uh, a process called autophagy which is yeah. cell death and really what seems to be uh, dysfunctional in many cancers is this apoptotic process which normally would kill cancer cells has gone south it's not working the way it was designed to and this is large in large part a result of the dysfunction that occurs in mitochondria so when you can improve mitochondrial function uh, and generally radically reduce chronic inflammation, which contributes to that, and oxidative stresses, then you can recover this ability to naturally kill the cancer cells. Yeah. Uh, absolutely correct. And again, I hate to, no, I don't hate, but you know, stressing the point again, it starts with nutrition. Yeah. It starts with you know, all these seven key principles. So we're, we're talking about the same thing, you know, cells, cancer cells are meant to self-destruct. And so we need to give the body that uh, potential to do what it's made to do. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you for spending the time with us and uh, also thank you and express my gratitude for the courage it took to put together a clinic like this, which is obviously motivated by your father's experience with prostate cancer, but provide a resource, a truly authentic resource and strategy that people can use as to have a much, have a much higher likelihood of being successful and not suffer toxic consequences. So it's a great resource. I mean, that's the challenge is finding resources like you when you're up against the wall and really have, you know, between a rock and a hard place. So it's, it's, a, it's great to consider and uh, I'm glad you're doing it. So thank you for all your work. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's a, it's a pleasure. Remember, uh, cancer cannot, uh, is not a death sentence as, you know, as we all say, because we've seen it over and over again. No matter how advanced the doctor tells you that you are, there is always hope for cancer. And I say that truly and honestly because I've seen it. I've seen patients come in in wheelchairs, uh, a few in stretchers, and are able to walk out and live uh, a healthy, long life. So never give up, and together we can do this. Great. Well, thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you, Joe.